Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free, a token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. In today's episode, we dive into the intricate world of mental health, especially as it pertains to sports and high-performance activities. Today, I welcome Julie Koreath to the show. Julie is an inspiring figure in the realm of mental health and sports, with a profound personal journey that has shaped her professional endeavors. Julie is a dynamic and influential mental health advocate and entrepreneur. She has carved a niche for herself in the field, focusing on the next generation of athletes and their mental well-being. Julie's passion for helping others stems from her own experiences with depression and anxiety, which she bravely navigated from a young age. Her story is not just one of challenges, but also of resilience and transformation. Julie's academic journey led her to earn a master's degree in counseling, providing her with a deep understanding of mental health issues. This was further enriched by personal experiences, including discovering her own learning disabilities as an adult. In today's episode, we explore Julie's fascinating backstory, her journey to where she is now, and the pivotal moments that defined her path. We delve into how her struggles during childhood and later in life fueled her determination to make a difference in the world of mental health, particularly for young athletes. Julie shares her insights on the impact of mental health on athletes' performance, the significance of nurturing mental resilience, and the importance of developing an identity beyond sports. Her perspective is enlightening, offering a nuanced understanding of the challenges athletes face and how they can be supported. We also discuss the innovative work Julie is doing with her company, Nui, which aims to provide comprehensive support for the mental health of young athletes. Nui's approach is multifaceted, encompassing mentorship, masterclasses, and an AI coach, all tailored to address the specific needs of the next generation. Julie's journey is a testament to the power of overcoming personal battles and using those experiences to empower others. Her story is not just inspiring, but also educational, offering valuable insights into the world of mental health and sports. So without further ado, Let's get into the show to help elevate your mental game in sports and life, and please welcome Julie Koreath. Julie Koreath, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Delighted to have you here. We had a very cool chat a few weeks ago. We probably should have just pressed record on that because there were so many fun things that we jumped into. But listen, how are you doing? How's life? Um, people that can't see this, you've got an incredible view behind you, I believe in Austin, Texas. Um, so yeah, how's, uh, how's things at the moment? Oh my goodness, they're great. I have to say, you know, the holidays and I have two kids, they're 14 and 11. And when their excitement around the holidays is just overjoy every day, it's just fun, you know? (laughs) And then the work I do is just warms my heart every day. And and a lot of it has to do with this next generation. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's really amazing. And we're going to really dig in and unpack this today. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of rabbit holes. I'm sure we're going to disappear down and we might have to bring ourselves back up. But hey, that's why we're here to have a bit of fun. But listen, I, I think your backstory, your journey to this point, there, there's a lot of interesting things here. Um, so yeah, I pretty much dive in with, with quite a direct question, if it's okay. 
how did you get to this point of your of your life and the journey that you went on to be able to do what you do currently? Well, you know, it, it is a it's a long story, so I will keep it short. But uh, growing up, I I dealt with depression and anxiety from a very young age. I remember in kindergarten already thinking that there was something wrong with me, mm-hmm. and you know, people didn't talk about mental health back then. I didn't even know there was such a thing. I just thought I was the one person in the world and something was wrong with me and everybody else was happy. (laughs) And, you know, the messaging that you see on TV and on TV shows um, about mental health, especially at that time, is you're crazy. And and then the messaging, you know, from shows that you watched, you know, as other teenagers and things, it... It, it really, I just could never find my space, I think, you know, just in this world. And so I always had this fire inside of me, though. I will tell you this, that I wanted to fight for other people. And a lot of that, I think, was because I was dealing with my own depression and anxiety. And because at the time, I didn't even know this. I found out when I was 40 years old that I had 20 different visual processing disorders. And what? I had a really hard time learning. If they would have known that back then, I would have been, you know, put in the special ed class and there's nothing wrong with that. I, but I think I would have felt worse about myself. Um, You know, I had to find all sorts of coping skills to get through. That's big. That's big. Just just, just staying with that for a second. I know you're going to kind of continue. Um, Talking to anyone, you know, like ranging from parents to a trusted teacher or the uncle figure, auntie figure, I assume that wasn't on the table, was it for you? No, because once again, I, you know, mental health back then was not talked about. Mm. And um, I did, once I got to high school, I did, I met my high school counselor, Mrs. Wilt, and she was really helpful and helping me navigate through stressful times. And I mean, I think I was in her office. (laughs) <laughs> five times out of the all week, you know, I'd yeah. stop in there because she was my safe space. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I had this fighting spirit inside of me always. I wanted to be on student council. I wanted to do things where, you know, I felt like we could make change. I never saw uh, the separation that other people see where it's the clicks, you know, mm-hmm. where it's the a popular group and it's a smart group and it's more the golf group. But I felt at a very young age, like, why are we all not kind to each other and working together? And mm, that's so, awesome. you know, thinking about to where I am now when people say, you know, you usually do what you're passionate about when you're younger. I was passionate about that already when I was younger. Fantastic. And, yeah. So I went on to get my master's in counseling, learned a lot about mental health, worked on myself. Um, I got married. Let's see, um, when I was in 32 or so, I'm 46 now, yeah. And then we got a, and had two children and we mm-hmm. got a divorce uh, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And that divorce radically changed my life. We had a very amicable divorce, very good friends. Um, but something happened to me uh, that still sometimes is hard to explain and, and hard to understand because I was a fully functioning woman. Mm-hmm. And I still was for my kids. I could do anything for my kids. But everything else was falling apart. Right. I couldn't even write an email. I couldn't read. I couldn't. Wow. Um, I was scared to work out because it was the first time in my life I was having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, you're supposed to go work out for your mental health. My fear was I'm going to get out on this hike and bike trail in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start crying because I would. Really? I wow. panic attacks. Sometimes I would lose my space and not even know where I was in the world. And so I started, you know, to isolate. Uh, I couldn't talk to people. I I felt kind of, I felt like I did when I was younger. Right. You know, mm. I didn't, I felt horrible about myself. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, I, I found out that I had that learning disability, <laughs> which yep. is one of the reasons I was having a hard time reading because mm. when you, are younger, you know, you have all these skills that you put together in order to get through. And I kind of lost those. I was still, I would still read and stuff, but it was more cookbooks and books about kids. And so I had to all of a sudden 
go out and get a job. Um, and not that I wasn't working per se, I was raising the kids and I was helping my ex-husband with things, but I had to go out and get the job. And I was, oh. was not getting hired by anyone. I got fired, finally got hired by somebody got fired mm-hmm. because I couldn't do basic, simple tasks. Hey, that's brutal. It was brutal. Mm. I found out I had the 20 different <laughs> different yeah. processing disorders. And at the time they became, I was under 20th percentile for my age. So when I say I couldn't read, I was at a level where I really couldn't read anymore. Wow. Wow. Or yeah. write or anything. Huh. So I did a couple things that stopped drinking when I found that out. So I stopped drinking, found that out, started going to eye therapy. And that was my journey. And that and five years ago when I stopped drinking and started going to eye therapy where that was my healing journey. That's when mm. it all happened. Yeah. Sure. Well, listen, thank you for opening up. And I know maybe even revisiting those things are, are quite tough and, you know, just going through them. But yeah, I really appreciate it because, you know, I think uh, the, the audience that listening, you know, I'm sure a lot of them are going through their personal battles, the things that they struggle with, things that they might not even be diagnosed right now. And actually even hearing you say that, and actually, you know, I'm hoping that people can hear this. And what I find fascinating, and just one or two more little bits on this, knowing what you knew, you obviously went through and did your master's degree in counseling. It sounds like it was quite difficult to, I don't know, is this the best way to put it, to apply the skills you learned back on yourself in a way, like you said, you were going through the things Did you, you know, it sounds like you, you couldn't really do much because of, you know, the things that you just said, but how did you try? Did you use any tools that you had learned? Did you try do things or, or was it just too hard at that, at that time? Yeah. So, you know, I, when I got my master's in counseling, that was quite, it was what, 20 years ago, I think when I went back and uh, a fantastic program. And I was able to apply some of those tools, especially with uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy and some things. What I realized, though, is that what I was missing was coming up with these daily routines that were more than what I learned even in therapy. Um, Because back then they didn't know. We didn't talk about breath work. We didn't talk about meditating. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about, um, you know, jumping in the cold shower for a minute. These really very simple things that can help you when you are, when your nervous system is totally deregulated and out of control, where it feels mm-hmm. like it's out of your body. When, you know, when you go back and I've never been one to go back and blame like my childhood. My childhood was, it was rough, but I love my parents very much. And I don't dive into that now because I have a lot of forgiveness and forgiveness mm-hmm. is amazing, mm-hmm. you know, so very true. for your audience. If there's someone that you you struggled with forgiving your whole life, it takes time and be gentle on yourself. But when that freedom happens, it's freedom in your mind. Mm, Changes the entire world. So, um, but yeah, growing up, I just, um, I, I, I started feeling those same fears that I was fearing when I was a child. Right. It, almost like I went back and I reversed. And so... Applying the tools from my master's program, yes, there was a few, but there's been so much more now. And what I understand and what I'm trying to do with our company is that you got to create this mental performance playbook. You know, playbooks are awesome because they teach the teams exactly what they need to do mm-hmm. for the teams. And when we can have our own like mental health or mental performance playbook where we have these very simple things, you know, light first thing in the morning. Um Breathing exercises, say thank you as soon as you wake up, like put one foot on the floor, thank, and the other foot on the floor, you. And Mm -hmm. Nice. So there's so many simple things that you can do every single day that really can help you navigate this very stressful situations Mm. that happen in life. Mm. And so I just didn't have all of those. One, I think my uh, processing disorder really made me feel like Everything was so words and life and everything was out of my body. Right. Uh, and I really think that was uh, very healing when I started to be able to refocus and go to therapy and, and learn how to use my eyes because the eye situation was I couldn't converge, I couldn't diverge, I couldn't track. Wow. Depth perception. I mean, you name it. So when all of that is kind of out of whack, it was really hard for me to even 
focus and bring all these things into play. Mm. Yeah. And and so yeah. you said you've gone just just a, a curiosity thing. You went to eye therapy. I've I've not heard of that. That sounds <laughs> fascinating. What can you tell us about that? Like like it's, I assume it's the gym for the eye in in a way. Yes. Like, what what goes on there? Yeah. Listen, if anyone out there, you know, a lot of times. Even parents, when kids have a hard time reading, they automatically think maybe it's dyslexia. But I went to Optometry Center for Vision Therapy in Austin. Um, and, I, you know, they said, listen, we need to actually get your eye muscles and your eyes working before we can even go down, uh, before we can even think about dyslexia. And so, you know, it's really important that if your kids are having a hard time reading, if you're having a hard time reading, if you can't remember anything, go online and see if you can find maybe something in your where you live or some information about it to learn more about just eye processing hmm. um, disorders and things like that. So I would go in once a week and then during the pandemic, it, we became we had to do it virtually. <laughs> yes, but uh, going in was. I would do things like balancing exercises and having to recall. They had different eye machines that I had to work on. Every six weeks, they had to retest me to see if I was progressing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was it was really Pretty intense. Yeah. yeah, and 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 just um, do you have to continue it now? Have you got to the point where you've regulated certain things? Like like yeah. what what part of the journey are you on with it now? Right. I feel um, really strong right now with my reading and uh, comprehension. I, you know, if I had the time, I would go back just to even enhance it more. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't. So I feel yeah. really good where I am now. I know that I'm reading, <laughs> I know I'm comprehending my depth, my depth perception and, and, and peripheral, like everything is, feels really in place. Like mm -hmm. it's really whole in my body. Um, but I will go back one day to yeah. just keep enhancing it when I have time. Mm. But my auditory is very strong. And I think that's another thing that got me through life. And what's so great about programs now in school, like my daughter, this is hereditary. So my daughter has it. And they have what's called a 504 program here in Austin. And so she can do all of her tests with auditory mm -hmm. uh, mm. learn, learning. And, and that's really important because if brilliant. I would have been my test like that, I would have, I wouldn't have had as to struggle. Yeah. 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 She's fascinating. And I think, you know, thank you for spending time, you know, talking about your story because I think it leads us beautifully into what you're doing now, the business you're uh -huh. trying to create and all of this incredible stuff. So, um, in your experience, and, and we're going to talk about this now, but actually before I go deep down that rabbit hole, do you want to just paint the picture of, of where you're at now? Like what, what's your mission? What are you doing? Cause, cause when we spoke last, it was just so inspiring to hear you talk about it and light up when you were kind of yeah saying what it is. So would you like to tell the audience where, where you're at right now? Yeah, I'd love to. So right now what I'm doing is, well, my company is Nui and Nui means big and huge in Hawaii and Hawaiian, excuse me. And we're going to do big and huge things to help this next generation, but we're starting off with athletes. So I mean, I love this next generation. I When I see my fr kids, friends, and just everything inside of them, you know, I have a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. And I also have a lot of concerns <laughs> mm -hmm. because we also know that this next generation is in crisis when it comes to their mental health and being able to regulate uh, stress and, and other things in their life because everything is so instantaneous, you know, like they get whatever they want, whenever they want. <laughs> yep. And um, there's no lag time and everything's in real time. I mean, I think about when I was growing up on Friday, if I didn't get invited to something that my other friends did, I still had the whole weekend to go and do things. Yeah. And, and Monday, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a deal. But now they don't get invited to something and they see all their friends posting about it. And it's hurtful because mm. it still stings. So, you know, what, what we're trying to do is to create this platform and really this community. It is an app, but my, my desire is to create a community, starting off with athletes, as I said, where we can provide them with proper mentorship, um, you know, some coaches, a place where they can get guidance. I mean, mm -hmm. as parents, when we were growing up, I don't know about you, you know, we had grandparents, aunts and uncles, like you were saying, and even though we didn't talk about mental health, as you asked, 
I still knew they were there. You know, Mm -hmm. they still took care of us. And it was still, you know, a part of our our tribe. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to have these days. And and a lot of people talk about it. So that mentorship and, and coaches, I want that to be a part of the family tribe like that extension of what they need help with Mm. second thing is providing them with these master classes now when i talked to i did the research around this and i was asking the athletes i want to do these master classes they'll be about 15 minutes long but it's all about helping you in these areas and I mean, they looked at me like, what are you talking about? 15 minutes. <laughs> Way too long. 45 We're seconds, happy. people. Yeah, let's get yeah. that done. <laughs> so we want to create these mini master classes that be like five minutes or less and do mm. a series. And either pro athletes, former pros, coaches, trainers, you name it, can talk about an area that aligns with them. Mm-hmm. If that's injury prevention. If that's identity, what's your identity outside of the sport? So then whenever they're not playing, they don't lose that. Uh, uh, is it, um, why am I right now? All five of them. <laughs> that's okay. No, 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 so no, as as yeah. we talk, we'll remember right. them as all well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I know social media and how to mm. handle, you know, p- what people are saying about you and how to keep your superpower. Nice. So we have five different pillars where we want these uh, professionals in whatever field they're in to be able to speak on that. And then the third thing that we have is the newly AI coach. And I feel like that's so important. One, I thought, I think about this a lot because at first it scared me. I wanted nothing to do with AI, but I remember growing up and I can remember feeling like I told you earlier that something was wrong with me Mm -hmm. and how great, and you don't want to tell anyone. You know, you don't because you feel shame and you feel scared. And how great would it be to go on the AI and say, I think there's something wrong with me. I'm having anxiety, depression, and I think there's something, I don't know what to do. Mm. And the AI is not the therapist here. Yep. The AI is meant to say, here's some techniques, give them some breathing techniques and some other things. And here's a video or a coach or somebody that we can send you to, to help. And if it's something more than what we can handle on our app, then we have an immediate link to 988, the mental health hotline crisis we have over here in the United States. Yeah. Mm. And the way we sum all this up is what I was talking about earlier is that mental performance playbook, because they're going to be able to have their own playbook. They can bring in, you know, things that they hear from, let's say we get LeBron James to do series on there, you know, mm-hmm. well, LeBron James meditates. I'm going to put that in my routine. Yeah. yeah. Look up to him. Or, you know, my, my mentor said that this is a really good idea. Visioning exercises. I'm going to put this into my routine. Um, or the AI coach said, Hey, look, have you heard of Wim Hof method? And put mm-hmm. that in there, you know, so they can create their own mental health playbook to support them. And I think that when we can create the space for kids, then they have the tools that they need right there when they start dealing with stressful situations. And then mm-hmm. they have a community of people that are talking about it too. Brilliant. And listen, I, I can't wait to see where this goes because, you know, you showed me some of the stuff. I got super excited. I think all of those those three strands and, and your vision for it, it just sounds incredible. And we'll maybe talk about the business towards the end. Um, but yeah, thank you. And and again, it sounds like your journey. And I, you know, for me, I'm I'm I love AI. I think it's really, but if used in the right way, it's it's you know, yes. advanced search engine that gets more personalized the more we use it. So again, obviously this this might date the conversation, but if someone's listening to this five years from now and like AI's taken over, maybe they take it with a pinch of salt. But well, you know, it's it's like anything. And I had somebody at the speaking engagement the other night and he's like, how are you going to handle AI when it's going to take over the schools? And, you know, I said, we're we're going to do what we can control mm-hmm. and create goodness in the world. And we yep. hope that people want to come to that. Exactly. And, you know, I also think that everyone realized with social media how much harm it's caused. So I do feel like they're trying to create some regulations around AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, who knows what's going to happen? We yeah. can't control that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the classic is you know, sports psychology one hundred and one. You know, control your controllables. That that's what it all comes down to. And keep reminding yourself. And for sport, for life, so many, so many key things. 
So yes. I thought, let's get a little bit more granular. We might talk about some tools. We go into a bit of detail here because I know the listeners probably want to, you know, really get into some of the nuts and bolts and the stuff that you're, you know, at the coal face doing, you know, day in, day out, helping these young student athletes. So um, in your experience, Julia, how does mental health directly influence an athlete's performance on the on the field of court? You know, I, I think we know there's there's a thing there, but, you know, if there's anything based on the science or things that you see firsthand, yeah, how does the mental health uh, affect those athletes' performances? Yeah, I see it firsthand with my sons. Uh, he's a basketball player. Um, you know, he does year round. Year round, this is all he's focused on, and I see it in these young boys. You can see it when they're playing on their court, and the ones whose like shoulders are down and they don't make it, and they go over to the bench and they just look like they want to. There's nothing in their eyes, and they want to disappear. Hmm. And, um. And then you see the ones who go and get help, go to a sports psychologist, and you see how they've evolved and how their shoulders are up and how they feel really good and confident. And they don't care if they make the shot or not because they're going to the next one. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I've seen it firsthand because there's been boys on the team that have gotten help. And there's been one specifically, too, that has not. And I'm concerned about him. and. Yeah. Because it does, it plays a huge role in their confidence and who they are. Mm-hmm. And at that age, and, and really until, you know, their brains aren't fully developed, kids' brains aren't fully developed until they're 25. Yeah. They're still having to work through a lot. And they really get wrapped up in what they love, as we all do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and with what they do and all they care about, they're not good at they crumble. Yeah. And and it's so important that they learn to keep that superpower even if they don't have a good game. They can move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. I think that's what someone said that Michael Jordan was so great at, right? He like never thought about the last shot. He was yeah. always moving on. How can I be mm-hmm. better? How can I be better? How can I do this? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's hard to see sometimes because I want to go up and 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 talk to the parents about it, and you know, that's you're walking like a real fine line with that. Yeah. Um, mm. You don't know how they feel about therapy. You don't, you know, and you would hope that they would see that the couple boys on the team that did go and how they've changed that they would want to ask. But you know, parenting is hard, and there mm. I say that with no judgment. Um, it takes time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's and what I, I understand. Yeah. And, and, you know, this way it gets like super interesting. It's, it's that, you know, you've experienced firsthand, you've seen your son, you've seen the kind of positives or negatives of it. And sometimes there's a bit of a, still a taboo around this, which is a real shame, isn't it? And I'm sure mental health, very similar support psychology, but it's becoming less and less now. You know, I feel really honored that there's a, I've got my sport, mind pros and a bunch of athletes and they wear the badge with pride. They're wearing the logo with pride going, Hey, we're getting help with our mental game. And actually, they turn it into a bit of a super strength. It's like it's like the force field they kind of use, which I think is really cool in a way. And so, you know, like I said, you're you're there on the ground doing stuff. How much do you still feel there is a taboo around this? And obviously, you talked about parents. We might get into that conversation at some point. Um, but yeah, when when you you know say that you're doing what you're doing, do you sometimes see you know people shying away from it? It's like, what's been your experience there? Yeah. So, and for the longest time, I was just focused on the word mental health. And I would say, you know, we need to get comfortable with this word because there's a physical health and there's a mental health, but there is still a taboo around the word. Mm-hmm. And uh, just talking with coaches and wanting to get this out there, you know, and I understand their fears now. Their fear is that players are, so there's a college um, and Texas, uh, I'm sorry, San Marcos here in Texas, Texas State. And I know that they had a couple players last year, uh, the basketball players that um, just like due to mental health, they decided to kind of take a break and then ended up just not playing anymore. Hmm. And the coaches are starting to fear that, yeah. you know, they if they need a mental health break, then they allow that. But then their fear is that they're not going to come back. And so there still is a taboo around the word, I think, more so with our generation. Um, 
and an older, like maybe, say, well, well, I don't know how old you are, so I don't want to say our I'm, I'm 40, it's fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I th- okay. I thought we talked about that the other day. I think yeah. uh, 40-ish like to about an older. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think in our the people in their 40s are more open to it, but yes. I definitely think when you're in the <laughs> 50s, they're still a little like, mm. Mm. yeah. So I feel like our 40s generation is, it's quite like, tuned into it. Mm, I'm yeah. a little more tuned into it. Yeah. So it's just, um, yeah, that's been difficult. And so mm. I changed everything to mental performance. Um, nice. And, you know, I just decided it's a word. Mm. And I, I care more about helping the kids than making the word mm-hmm. the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if uh, it, it, so two things came to mind as you were speaking there. And, and uh, there was the Netflix documentary on the Furies, Tyson Fury, the boxer, you might come across him. And it was, um, it was really interesting because his dad, like they're from, they, they Yorkshire, which is the Northern England, Northern England, tough working class background, you're like kind of blue collar. And he, he's, they, they travelers. So they, they, they gypsies, they live in, like the dad lives in a caravan stall. But what was fascinating, he must be in like his 70s, the dad, maybe 60s, 70s. And he, and, and Tyson Fury, the boxer, has mental health issues, and he admits it. And he goes, "Yeah, I've, I've got serious mental health issues." But even the dad turned on and said, "Yeah, you know what? In my younger day, I would have clipped Tyson around the back of the head and said, get on with it and crack on it.'" And even the dad now in his sixties going, "You know what? But it's real. I, I see it in him. I see the mental health. I see the issues." And I was actually just that doc, documentary was really interesting for different reasons, but just that in particular, I thought was really brilliant to hear someone of that generation of the working class background that would normally just clip their son around the back of the head and get on with it actually was championing this whole idea, which I thought was really cool. And then um, the second thing really quickly, and you might have a thought or comment on this, uh, there's a rugby player called Owen Farrell in, in the UK. The Rugby World Cup happened a few months ago. He's England. He's like the Tom Brady of England. Like he's the kind of, he's the fly off. So he's like the playmaker, the kind of good looking guy. He missed the penalty in the semi-final. Like the last kick was a really tough one and they got knocked out and South Africa went on and they won the whole thing. And he's now taken, he's removed himself from the England team because him and his family, so he said this, he said, I need a a break because of my mental health, not just for me, but my family need a break because I'm being targeted on social media and people are coming after me. So like just reflecting the fear of coaches losing that player. Listen, I think it's, it's, it's good. Like you've got this superstar actually going, no, enough's enough. I'm removing myself from this firing line, me and my family of being targeted and we need space for our mental health. So I actually think when we get people of that stature in nature, Tyson Fury's dad, Owen Farrell, talking about this and actually, you know, doing things, I think it's only a great message. So I don't know if there's any thoughts you have just around that long stories there, but any thoughts? I have, I have a lot of this. One, <laughs> I, yes, I mean, go and, and take that break and, and coaches would hate somebody saying that. But you know what? We, there are no consequences anymore on how we speak to people. So it's, people go online on social media and they say horrible things and they see people as objects mm-hmm. and there's no consequences anymore. Yeah, totally. And, it, and when we were growing up, you know, you don't say something horrible to somebody. One, they are, you don't know what they're going to say back. Mm-hmm. And, and two, you'd get in trouble from your school or from your parents. And now it's just like you can go after people, treat them horribly, and there's no consequences. Mm. And I, I feel like, hey, this is your consequence. Why don't you think about all the great things that this player has done and brought to your community? You're focused on one kick. Sorry, I like want to say F you to all those people. <laughs> I know it's terrible as that. <laughs> like he's got so a man. Mm-hmm. He's a human being. Mm-hmm. And he's out there busting his butt every single day. Yep. And you want to treat somebody like that? Mm-mm. No. no, it's me really upset. Mm-hmm. And for him to say, hey, no, we need a break. And so does my family because this is hurtful. And it's, and it's hurting our mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And and there, and you know, I don't know if people would have stopped doing it or not. They're probably saying worse things. But, yeah, exactly. You know, which is yeah, good, good for him. Yeah. Well, they say I, I again when I said um, it's good it's happening. I'm obviously not saying it's good it's happening, but I'm I'm glad the message he's putting out to say, hey, listen, <laughs> it's kind of unacceptable in a way, and I'm removing myself. And 
yeah, again, it's it's starting these conversations and, and getting people talking about it, which is which is only only a good thing, isn't it? So it just, just building on this a little bit more, Julie, you know, there's there's a real interesting push and pull between high performance, resilience, you know, handling pressure situations, but then like the mental health side of things as well, this push and pull. So, you know, again, you've mentioned a couple of strategies or a couple of tools. You know, if thinking about the work you do, what what type of strategies and tools would you recommend for athletes to build that resilience, especially in that high performance thing? We might talk about the mental health thing in a separate thing in a sec, but you know, tools to build resilience. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it is all mindset. And and the way that we talk to ourselves in our head, the way we talk to ourselves in our head can really play a huge part on how we execute at life. So the biggest thing, one thing I learned, I used to be my the biggest self-critic. I mean, I couldn't open the door the right way. I was everything I was doing was just wrong. And I had to start really writing that out mm-hmm. and changing that narrative in my head. And when we start changing that narrative, things will change. The way you go out there and perform in your sport, whatever it is that you're doing will change. So the biggest thing that I recommend is writing it down. Um, or if you don't want to write it down, then just reverse the thought in your head. If you're saying to yourself, you know, I just can't do this today. I'm, you know, I lost the last game and I, there's no way I'm going to go win this game. I mean, you're setting yourself up. Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to play. You're going to play like you're not going to win this game. Yeah. I can't do it today. We didn't win the last game. I played horribly. Instead, go. One, don't beat yourself up for saying that. Never beat yourself up. Always be loving and gentle with yourself, just like you would a friend, a dog, uh, anything. Be loving with yourself. Okay, that's interesting that I'm thinking that right now. Okay, what? let's change that. Let's yeah. either write it down and say, okay, last game. These are the things I could have done better. Now, what am I doing now? Now, I've been executing on those things. And I know that I'm ready and prepared to go out and do, you know, and and to work as hard as I can on this game and do my best and I can see myself and even creating a vision of what it's going to look like and how you can see yourself, you know, making that shot, how you see yourself playing defense. How do you see it? Set it up. I was listening to this, uh, somebody talk about Beyonce's Renaissance film Mm -hmm. coming out. And I haven't watched it, but I thought that this is exactly what I'm talking about right now. She um, is in New Orleans on stage, all these cameras, hair blowing in the wind. She wrote all of that out exactly how it was going to look. Nice. I love so that. That's what we need to do in life. Mm-hmm. Write it out. How is it going to look? Are you going to go out there, you know, with your head down, chest down, not playing that well, getting upset about everything or write it out. What is this next game going to look like? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to stand tall. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to feel really good. I'm going to be able to move through things that don't work for me and get right back into the game. Write that out. Change the narrative in your head. Not only about the game, for everything in life. Oh, I can't. I'm horrible at algebra. I can't pass this test. I'm going to make a C. That's what you're setting yourself up for. And once again, don't beat yourself up about it. Just say, that's interesting. Just be aware, aware Mm. of what you're saying. That's interesting. Mm. Let's, let's change that narrative. Right. You know, (laughs) Mm. yes, I I find algebra hard and I'm going to study a little extra and I'm going to do better this time. Mm. So mindset, mindset, mindset. It's, but that's where it starts. Love it. And that's what, yeah, today, exactly. (laughs) We're getting into that. Um, two, two quick, well, maybe three, but two quick things came to mind. Um, just finished listening to Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Be Useful. Really cool because he reads it himself and he actually, he doesn't even read it from a script. He can kind of tell he's just kind of talking his stories. But his his big, you know, USP is he had his clear vision from the day one. He could see himself in the movies in America when he was in the little village in Austria. He had a clear vision the whole time. And, and you know what? He manifested his life to that. And on a similar type of story, um, Jim Carrey, uh, before he got mm. the role in the mask where he wrote himself a check for a million dollars 
put up on the wall um, or 10 million even, I think it was, and goes services rendered for acting. And that was his way of like going, hey, listen, I'm going to get there. And yeah, I think his first check from the mask was $10 million along those lines. So I really like that. And and I suppose there's, there's no real question there, but the thought I had was, I find it quite interesting. I, I, I've got a, a lesson in my ecosystem called the spillover effect, which pretty much means it's, it's this cascade of things. So everything we do goes into everything we do. And even something as simple as, I don't know, banging your knee on the door as you're going out and you go, oh, I'm a, I'm a bloody idiot. Like what, you know, and it might be such a throwaway comment, but actually I think even those little things spill over and, and you're, you're actually exercising a neural pathway. You're firing off a synapse in your mind that is only going to get stronger. It gets fueled more and more. So for me, I, th- I, you know, I think we can't be perfect at this, but if there's always something we are telling ourselves that's on a negative nature for something that's so inconsequential, I think that fuels the fire. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Kind of talk about the little stuff that actually cascades and becomes the big stuff. Oh, it's so true. And listen, I have had to work so hard. I want people to know there, like I said earlier, there was a moment in time I would cry putting on yoga pants because I wanted to go, but I was so scared. So fast forward to where I am now. I've learned that every little thing, like what you're talking about, if I hit my knee, I mean, it was the rest of the day, you know, because I was so stupid that I hit my knee on something, you know, the rest of the day. And now if I hit my knee on something, you know, it's like, okay, but it took time. It wasn't like I went from doomsday to everything's great. It has taken, it has taken time, but it doesn't have to take as much time for other people because I, (laughs) I had to learn all these things. You were entrenched in it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and so, you know. It's just change. It's just changing that mindset if you can. And uh, if there's days that I can't, where it's just feeling like I, I can't get there today, I'm okay. I'm okay with that too, because then the next day is easier. Mm-hmm. So it really is the if you hit your knee, or you know if you don't get the package that you needed from Amazon that day for this or that thing, if if we let our minds take over this one small tiny tiny problem that can affect the rest of the day mm-hmm. and if you want to be mad about it maybe give yourself some time say okay i'm going to give myself 10 minutes to be really mad about this i'm going to go and hit the pillows in my room or whatever you need to do mm-hmm. and then cultivate and something great that you're going to say about yourself i think they say you need to say 10 if, if, if you really said something negative about yourself find 10 great things about yourself mm. They've done a study on that. I think it was all more to do with relationships and marriage and that, that one bad act or one, you know, so you say something kind of like a throwaway comment about weight or oh, I did the dishes or whatever. It takes five positive acts to rebalance it. And they've done years and years of studies on this, which I think is fascinating that we often think, oh, well, I'll just buy some flowers and chocolates and that's it. It's like a one-to-one. It's like, it's a five to one. And actually, I think you're probably close to where it's more like a kind of a five plus, maybe getting into the 10 territory, which is really fascinating. Um, so just talking about, because you said something earlier that I want to pick up on, you talked about your nervous system. And again, I, I love conversation nervous system. I feel I'm on a journey about learning even more about it. And I suppose the question I have is nervous system and breath work. You know, where does this come into your own personal world, but also what you would speak about to athletes or anyone listening? Nervous system, breath work, give, give you the buffet table there to talk about it. Yeah. So I, I think noticing your breath is so important. And if the first thing you can do in the morning is lay there in bed and take five breaths. For me, it's like lay there in bed, take notice like that's the, and I also say, because my faith is important, like, good morning, God, thank you for everything. And then breathe, take, it's just noticing your breath. Because I've dealt with so much trauma in my life, mm-hmm. there used to be a time where I'd always hold my breath and never even notice my breath. I did not breathe. I mean, I would, that's what happens with a lot of trauma victims is they don't breathe. Mm-hmm. So I really have to make a very conscious effort to notice my breath and to be aware of it. And so, you know, I'll do something simple like that. I love meditating. And I also have learned that if I can, and meditating for me is just breathing once again. It's mm-hmm. really about breathing. And the days I can do that longer, great. And the days I get in my five breaths, great. When it comes to a cold plunge, I love Wim Hof. And I, I love his method so much. I, I, 
I I even was trying to tell my son about it before his game because he has asthma. Okay. And I looked up, I was like, can Wim Hof, the Wim Hof method help my son mm-hmm. with asthma? And it, I mean, there, it sounds like there's studies around it. Yep. But um, that's something I'm trying to incorporate a little bit with my son, but I feel like kids don't listen to me. So I need to okay. go have a coach or somebody cool say, oh my gosh, you should try this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so literally that's the thing with a parent. It's like, you have the best advice. No, it's not going in. Just a, a quick side. It's kind of interesting timing. I'm um, I'm running a masterclass later tonight with a, a breathwork coach and she's got an interesting story. She had severe asthma at 19 years old. She's like, you can't play any sport and you might not even be able to like, kind of live. It was so severe. She um, discovered the Buteco method. And actually that's been like a very big part of, of lots of breathwork coaches, which is it's all about like the kind of the shallow, smaller breaths. And you actually build up a tolerance for your CO2. And it's very interesting. And I'll send you a link afterwards, Buteco mm-hmm. method. Um, yeah, probably started in like the 1980s, I think, from Russia. And she, like for, for asthmatics, apparently that is one of the big ones to to have a go at. So I'll send you a little link to that if your son suffers with that. Um, the Buteco method is apparently like the, the go-to one for that. Yeah, luckily his isn't that bad. You know, it's before he needs an inhaler before games or if he you know, before any kind of athletics, but, um, you know, he didn't have it this past weekend and it does affect him. And, and then I, that was the first time I thought about that was that Mm -hmm. can't breath work help with asthma. So Mm -hmm. please send me the link because now I'm on a mission. I really don't want him to have to have that inhaler the rest of his life. I mean, he has it as a backup. Great. But if he can Mm -hmm. learn some breathing methods. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and just tell me your your version of cold plunges because I'm super curious. I've got my cold shower routine. I, I don't have the space to have a cold plunge kind of area. Um, well, how, how do you go about your your process? I've only done a few because I don't okay. know. Like I, I live in a small, tiny yes. condo. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, I get cold so easily. Um, my kids are constantly like, why do you have the heat on when it's only 65 degrees outside? <laughs> um, so the fact that I sometimes get in the cold shower, I don't do it often. I do it to remind myself that I can handle stress, stressful situations, yeah. that I can breathe through them. And so I do it whenever I'm feeling like I can't handle a stressful situation. That's a cool time to do it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's to go in there and say, okay, you can get through this. Mm. And um, when I've done a few cold plunges, I mean, I, I've actually, when I get out i feel so good but i once did it with a friend and it was interesting because i started doing the wim hof breathing right mm-hmm. i got in and i was so focused i just found this one spot that i was going to focus on my friend was chatting she's like oh my gosh this is so cold are you okay and i just i didn't even talk to her i was just, just zoned uh-huh nice. it was magical and so then we got out and then got into the sauna or whatever was next and and she was like, what were you doing? And I told her, and then she did it the second time. And she's like, that was really powerful. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Love that, yeah. Quick, um, again, a side note, because I'm going down a very curious rabbit hole. I'm, I'm doing some breath work, advanced training in the new year and going through the Patrick McEwen oxygen advantage stuff. And actually, when when people do feel cold often, um, there's there's a bit of an imbalance in the CO2 and O2 levels. And actually, when you do breath work, it almost feels like breath work is such an antidote for so many things. It's like they're starting to discover more and more and more about it. So Maybe the new yell, no jot when I know, but more about it. But um, there's something yeah. to do with yeah, your cold regulation. If you're always feeling cold and your extremities are always cold, there's um, there's actually breath work to help rebalance that because it's, it is something to do with the CO2. I don't want to misquote this, but that's a very high level bit that I I saw early on. So I it, every year I kind of pick something new that I want to dive more into, and I feel like it's needs to be breath work. It sounds like <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, I, I, that, that's that, as my one. I kind of almost accidentally stumbled upon it. I was always interested, but then met some incredible people, people high up in, in that company. I was like, I'm I'm diving in. So if like, I can have something to help regulate my body temperature and not feel yeah. freezing all the time, I w- would love that. I love it. <laughs> well, leave it with me. I'll I'll get back on that. Um. Okay. So just maybe pivoting back to the athletes for a sec. Um. We've mentioned this, the the athlete identity. I think this is a very important conversation, or maybe if you have some tips around it. So what role does mental health and the athlete identity, how do they, how do they play into each other? Like we got, you know, an athlete that might be doing incredibly well and he's seen as the superstar, but, and he sees himself in that identity, but if he's starting to, you know, lose or kind of not do it well, does his identity come crumbling down? So yeah, what, what are your overarching thoughts around, you know, athletes identity and mental health? Well, 
I think it's important that one of like what I said earlier, one of the pillars I want to have is around identity. I think it's really important that they have things that they enjoy outside of their sport. And I really had that was one of the things with my son that we had to start cultivating um, is to do something outside your sport that makes you feel really good. So you're not just your confidence isn't tied up into one thing. You know, you can do other great things in this world and feel really good about that. And so, you know, I think it's really important that they find at least one other thing that they feel confident in that brings um, their identity not away from their sport, but hey, it can even help align with their sport. You know, it's, I heard, um, and I say basketball a lot because that's, you know, what my son does and that's what we do. I read that a lot of basketball players actually do jiu-jitsu or they go and they play mm. golf. Mm. You know, they have these outside things that they do. And so if you can find one other thing that maybe once a week you really enjoy doing. And because you, I think that one thing, too, is that my son started to find that that was fun. Mm-hmm. That then he was starting to have fun in the game again. It spills over. Mm. It spills over. Because you come back from this thing that you're having so much fun doing, and then you're like, yeah, okay, let's play. Mm. It spills over, just like yeah. your, your spillover. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I and love it's great, that. great advice. And it's very interesting because before we started talking, I'm, we were talking, I'm lucky enough to have a, another podcast yesterday. Someone talking about nervous system. And we were mentioning high performers that, that high performers, you tend to get so close to the thing you're doing, you're really diving into it, and, and you, you, you just get so wrapped up in it that actually kind of stepping back, zooming out, and you know, you even said like, yeah, making effort to have a couple of meals a week with, you know, a couple of meals a month with friends and doing those things outside of that thing that actually, yes, it's always going to be like your main thing. And I know a lot of athletes and and some of the ones I work with at the really elite level. Yeah. It's, it's, it, if they lose their whole world, they, they kind of, they, it's pivoted on its axis. Like, wow, I'm, I'm now a loser. I'm not a winner anymore. And it's such black and white thinking. So I think your advice there is, is really powerful. And it might lead me on like very naturally to my next question, you know, coaches, trainers, even parents, I think there's a huge education piece around this, isn't there? And, and I'm, I'm not sure if Nui or what you're thinking is going to obviously involve the parents and trainers because, you know, they are a huge part of, of what happens in it. So yeah, thoughts about how, how do we get um, the support network on board with what you're trying to do? Yeah, you know, I would love to be able to add um, trainers and parents to the conversation and to Nui and trying to think of, you know, how to do that. I think it would be great. You know, I talked about coaches and mentors, you know, for parents to have coaches on how we navigate all of this because it's not easy. (laughs) I mean, I I still sometimes at the end of the game with my son, I don't say a whole lot. I let him come to me. Because I used to try to say something and then it wasn't right. And then, you know, and so now he comes to me and, um, and even his dad has learned so much, you know, he didn't realize that Liam was feeling pressure from him because his dad played basketball and loves the sport. And he didn't realize, Hey, listen, your dad would act the same way if it was a team that he cared about. Interesting. And get that passionate about it, Mm. you know, because he loves the sport. So it's not just you, you know, and so I had to learn to work through these things. But we had a sports psychologist that my son went to go see help us, Mm. help us say the right things, help us be able to navigate this a little bit better. So I'd love to add that part of it to our app eventually. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Just on my own, you know, personal journey as well, that's that's uh, a big module that that I'm currently working on researching. And I think it is it's such a. Because it's the triangle, it's the it's the coach, parent, athletes triangle. You know, it's you know I think those three things and the symmetry and everyone getting you know on the same board and speaking the same language and reinforcing the same messages, not overpraising the result, but making sure that it's about the process. This is very Carol Dweck growth yes. mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're on that the, the the word yet. We're on the journey, or we get to do these things. We don't have to do these things. And yeah, I just think once that that language even just changes from parents and coaches. 
all of a sudden the child's like, oh, we can actually, we can breathe. We've got some space. There's a weight off our shoulders. And that's yeah, really, really good to hear. I've always tried to, you know, praise the process, but I've done a little bit of both. And the other day I was telling my daughter, I was like, you're just, yeah, I, was, I said, you're so smart. You can navigate through anything. And then I started listening to Dr. Huberman and, and I was like, <laughs> and the very message was like, don't ever say that. And I was like, yeah. Oh. I and I was like, Ruby, I said, listen to this. <laughs> and I said, scratch what I said from the record. Scratch <laughs> what I said. I mean, but you are smart. I do what you Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason that you are able to, you know, get to this point is because you have done. Exactly. So, but it's good. Yeah, it wins, I've always yeah. praised the process, but sometimes you just forget. And I just beat up. myself up about it. I just thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, no, again, I've very similar like, last couple of weekends with my son. Yeah, football and he had a great match, scored a couple of goals. And yeah, I was like, oh, you did so well. You won and you scored the main goal. I was like, dude, no, Jesse, stop it. It's a, he like it's about your teamwork was good. And you put your arm around that kid when he was kind of got fouled. And I so, but again, yeah, same thing. We do it more and more. We just get excited, you know. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, so I've got, um, again, a little, again, side note, but uh, it's building something that that I call it the OTP system, the outcome through process system, which is, you know, I think it's important wording that because. Yes, as athletes, we want the outcome. We can't just ignore it. It can't just be all process driven because that's, mm-hmm. that in itself is not initially 100% healthy, but the right. outcome is there, but it's through the process. We make sure that through the process is the main bit that we're hanging ourselves on. So that I think is quite I valuable. Love yeah. I love, love, love that. I love that. I'll send you some stuff when it's, uh, it's going to be coming out of the new year and there's a whole, um, yeah, basically like a, like a training module. I'm going to be helping, you know, athletes and parents and anyone to have a little look at. Um, and just um, yeah. maybe, maybe just we're going to start to get in wrapping up here, Julie, because right. I think there's been so many great conversations. I'm sure everyone listening is absorbing this. We may mention this, and this is maybe going back a little bit to Nui now. What future trends do you foresee in the mental health space to support athletes that, you know, will help with their athletic performance, but actually their, their, their life performance as well? Like, you know, making sure that we're getting this balance right. So, you know, you're, you're like I said, at the cutting edge of this, you've got some real good vision about this. Yeah, future trends. It might be stuff we've already spoken about, but any thoughts? You on said that? future what? Future trends. Future trends. trends. Oh, oh, trends, trends, trends. Yeah. Yeah. Future trends. One, I I do I, like you. I think that this next generation and, and athletes and kids are talking about it more. Like you said, some of them are even getting excited about it because when they start to see a you know and feel like, oh yeah, I've got this then they want more of that. Mm. So the fact that there's so many people like you and so many others working on this to help support them, I think that everything that we're doing now is only going to help elevate. Like I said in the beginning, you know, I love this generation and I have concerns, but my concerns don't feel as as heavy in my body knowing that so many people are out there doing amazing work you know, bringing scientific information around this. So now it's not just this idea of like, think better and you'll feel better. No, there's science around it. I love that. You know? And so the trend, I just see that everything, the foundation that's being laid right now is only going to grow. Yeah. I feel like we're, we're, we're planting these great roots. We, we're, we're starting to, you know, put some soil out and we're going to just start seeing amazing things grow from what everyone is doing you know and just all uh, it's just an honor to be a, a small piece of the puzzle mm, fantastic and yes rightly so and yeah it sounds like you know with where you're going and what you're doing in your vision yeah you're going to be you know standing on the shoulder of giants i like thinking that that yes there's people come before us and you know all sometimes we do is we just iterate it a little bit more move it forward but it, yeah mm. a lot a lot of the roots have been planted by some amazing people and maybe just on on that note just probably get to give a bit of a shout out to uh paul asianti the 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 man who connected us the the lead yeah. coach at trinity college um just remind yep. me again how how he came into your world and how you guys connected yeah speaking of planting roots he is someone <laughs> that it's just yeah planted some roots for sure um so i had i was connected with someone um trying to raise money for my company which you know was part of the process and this person said, oh, you should meet Paul. Mm-hmm. And I met Paul and, you know, we started talking about mental health and his journey and my journey. And it was just, yeah, he's just an amazing and wonderful soul in this mm-hmm. universe that I feel honored to know. <laughs> yeah. And he's why he's massively influenced the lives of many people and, and someone close to my heart, a, a guy, and you'll be more than happy me saying this, Simba Mwati, I grew up with him in Zimbabwe. 
uh, incredible story. And Paul Asianti got him out of, of Zimbabwe, gave him this, this shot at Trinity College and basically changed his life. And that's one story of probably hundreds. So uh, Mr. Asianti, if you're listening, big thumbs up from both of us. Thank you for connecting us. Yes. Exactly. And um, just in closing, Julie, where can people find you? Like, like I'm sure there's a lot of people got some follow-up questions. They want to probably know more about this. Can you signpost them where the best place they could search you out for? Yes. Uh, so we have on Instagram and YouTube is get, I'm, I'm sorry, is um, Nui underscore, underscore community. Um, on LinkedIn, it's just my name, Julie Corieth. We have a website, um, getnui.com, but my email is julie at getnui.com. And please feel free to reach out to me for anything. Happy to, always happy to talk. I'll put that in the show notes. So anyone that's listening, go check that out. There'll all be the links there. But listen, Julie, this has been flipping great. I've loved it. Loved having this chat with you. Feels like we're going to continue this conversation. It sounds like we've got some similar concentric circles that are going to cross over at some point. But listen, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to keep this going. Oh, thank you so much. It's been wonderful speaking with you today.